it seems like technology can make everything better. Well, it turns out there is a serious problem with the loss of water in the world. How can we turn that around? Well, it turns out there's a company focused on that, and they have found a solution that will inspire you as much as it inspired them. It is an incredible fix. It is what we're talking about on this episode of Dev Radio. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Microsoft Dev Radio. I'm here with Fridas, and I'm here with Kevin. They're both from Powell in Norway, all the way across the ocean, to talk about their solution we call Smart Water. Kevin, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. Now, Bye. you're the CTO of Powell. Tell us a little bit about who Kevin is. Okay, well, I'm actually an American. I'm from Seattle. Um, grew up there and uh, uh, worked, actually, at Microsoft for in Redmond for over 20 years. Uh, the last group was in the uh, developer division, working on things like .NET and uh, WPF, actually. Uh, and uh, uh, we bought a company in, in, in Oslo that I came over to work on, um, and then uh, decided to stay. And uh, so I joined Powell back in uh, October, and I've been here for almost uh, eight or nine months. Very nice. What do, what do you think of Norway? I love Norway. It's uh, mm -hmm. Great uh, natural surroundings, and um, uh, it's, a, it's a nice place to live. Yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, what a beautiful country. Now, Fridas, uh, you have been in Norway for a long time. Yes, I'm uh, Norwegian. Um, I grew up in a small village, I would say, in the mountains called Rarus. Uh, I'm a water engineer, um, have background from uh, research and consulting. I joined Powell about two years ago, uh, and I'm working with the software development to, um, yeah, for the water and wastewater sector, basically, water services. Very nice. Mm. All right, so, uh, Fridas, you're a water engineer. That fits pretty nicely with Powell. Tell us just for a second about um, what a water engineer would do for, uh, I don't know, what's a water engineer? Yeah, actually, it's, uh, the education is civil engineering. Uh, so I'm dealing with everything from uh, uh, water, um, from the water source, uh, giving a good quality of the water, uh, getting the water in pipes to the people, and then uh, taking care of the water after you have used it. Uh, okay. It includes the sewer system and also the receiving waters. That's basically the whole services that... Uh, we are taking care of and then uh, I've been doing different things in that area. Um, water treatment processes, uh, rehabilitation plans for pipes, uh, benchmarking systems uh, and uh, yeah, uh, flood protection, protection and uh, yeah, all, all kinds wow. of things Every, actually. <laughs> everything you could dream yeah. up with yeah, water. Yeah, well no. actually it's <laughs> everything uh, uh, that are linked to the public services of uh, water. Hmm. I see. Okay, so uh, Kevin, you've got a, a water engineer and uh, all kinds of things going on there with Powell. Um, but some people may not know who Powell is. We know you're a large company, but it kind of walk us through who Powell is and why a water engineer would work for Powell. 
Yeah, so uh, it's a large company in 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 the sort of industry that Powell operates. Um, it uh, it's Powell's about twenty years old, uh, and it's been providing software solutions and applications to the energy and utility industries for that entire time, and just growing the portfolio. It has a very broad, uh, unique portfolio of portfolio of solutions um, for water and infrastructure and energy. Uh, for energy trading, grid management, uh, and some renewals, renewals tech, and some things around microgrids and so on. So it's a bit unique in that respect. Um, and as you can imagine, it's it's been a traditional ISV in the sense of uh, it's had you know uh, delivered applications and servers on premises uh, at utilities and and the municipalities for most of this time. Um, but it has has recently in the last four years or so been transitioning to uh, a modern uh, cloud-oriented uh, application model and business model okay. as well. But, so uh, it sounds like, another... sounds like there's two big parts of PAL, one that has to do with power and one that has to do with water? No, we have uh, actually five different business units. Okay. Uh, we have um, construction, uh, civil construction for um, uh, roads and bridges and tunnels and things like that, but we have water, uh, yeah. we have uh, what can be called the grid uh, infrastructure management, uh, and then uh, something we call smart energy, uh, which is focused on energy trading and um, inflows of water and water uh, generation and things like that. And then the final uh, is uh, metering, smart metering. Okay. Uh, Pal likes smart things and likes smart water, this project that we're about to talk about. A lot of yeah, smarts in Pal. Increasingly smart and digitized, yes. Hmm. And digitized. Um, all right, well, tell us just a little bit about uh, the Smart Water Project. Actually, let's just step back again. I know that the Smart Water Project is going to solve a problem. Start introducing us just a little bit to what the problem is with uh, water distribution. Yes, uh, I would love to. Um, the problem that we are going to solve here is uh, water leakage uh, problems. Um, actually, in Norway, we have lots of water uh, today and this week it's uh, more or less constantly raining. <laughs> uh, so we have really a lot of water but um, still in the water distribution system uh, we lose uh, approximately in average 30% of the water. Uh, wow. Yeah. So that, that is in Norway. Some uh, companies uh, have uh, bigger losses, some are more clever, and um, there are Wait, several... Now, where, where does the water, how do you lose water? Uh, mainly in the pipes. All the pipes are underground. Uh, you can't really see what's going on there. Uh, a lot of the infrastructure is really old. Um, the pipe has a lifetime of about 100 years, uh, economically. Uh, so that means uh, that they try to keep them as long as possible uh, and uh, then um, it's hard to detect when and where there's a leakage. Um, they, it could be anywhere in the system. Really big ones, they surface. Then you get a big hole in the ground or in the street. Yeah. And the, the water those are the easy ones comes. to find. Yes, they, those are the re easy ones. but you have a lot of small ones that uh, is hard to detect and discover. So these so, are the, uh, so the, the issue that we want to, to solve. 
with this smart water project. I, mm. I can't even imagine how you could solve this problem. With all these, these, all yeah. these pipes are underground, all these pipes go for miles and kilometers forever. How do you detect a leak that's not so big it makes a change in the earth? The, they have systems to, to already a lot of data and systems that can take care of some of the problems. But uh, um, what we were thinking was to uh, help the utilities to uh, understand and um, analyze their data by using machine learning. Uh, so put them together so that they understand when and where uh, possible leakage uh, is happening. Um, so we have, from what we have done so far, uh, only done a small percentage of the whole idea, but uh, we started then to try to discover when the leakage occurs. Could, so to, let's, yeah. let's talk about how we sense it. In, I, I, I'm trying to wrap my brain around it just a little bit so I can understand yeah. how you would detect something that yeah. seems so difficult. I guess at the beginning, you know, I put in a certain amount of water, and at the end, I realize there's not quite as much in there. So I know there's somewhere in this gigantic, you know, pipe there's a, a loss. Yeah. And then yeah. how, what's, the, what's the strategy to start to identify which part of the pipe is leaking? Do I need to have a series of sensors every certain distance, and then I start figuring out it's in between that? And what am I, what am I measuring? Water flow? It's water flow. That's correct. Uh, Actually, the, the, the pipe network is um, divided into zones. Uh, they don't have a lot of meters, but they have one meter or several meters per zone, measuring every water going in and out yeah. of the zone. So they have the sum, they know how much they have in the zone. Um, and um, they normally have uh, what we call a SCADA system to monitor this. Um, so what we have basically done is actually quite simple. We just uh, took that data, uh, a lot of the data, historic data with um, uh, up to 10, uh, 10 uh, seconds uh, okay. for three to five years. We put them all into uh, a machine learning model uh, and train the model to understand uh, the expected pattern uh, during a normal day, normal week, uh, time of month. Um, so this Actually, would let us the, predict what's also normal. Also factoring in things like um, uh, factoring in things like uh, weather, um, so that you, you know you kind of get a, a profile for how water uh, should be flowing through the system at what volumes, uh, given the season, the weather, uh, the day of the week, the time of the day. These are features that, that, that factor into the, into the model. So uh, time, of, time of day and calendar, those are things I can yeah. kind of predict yeah. and maybe see a pattern. But weather, then you throw that in as a variable that once you know the weather, you might know its impact, but you can't predict what the weather would be on that, on that uh, calendar day, whatever it's going to be. What, no, what, what, what are the things that impact and, um, the flow of water? Why would weather even make a difference, Kevin? Well, people use more water when it's hot, for example. Um, simple, simple uh, example. Uh, so weather patterns, uh, usage patterns do vary according to, to the weather. Uh, and so you don't necessarily need to predict uh, what the weather is going to be tomorrow. It's more uh, about what the weather is doing right now so we can get real-time um, uh, understanding of what the consumption should be or what the flow should be at any point in time.
Okay, so now I have the gist of, the, I know what water's coming in, I have a prediction of how much usage should be inside that zone, and now I see, what, what am I measuring now? How much is coming out on the other side and seeing whether or not the usage matches on what's actually coming out, and maybe there's a loss of too much water being used, and that's an indicator of a problem? Yeah, uh, actually we're measuring all the consumption in one zone, one area. Okay. Uh, so we we make the prediction as a guideline, you might say, uh, and then we, on top of that, we add online data. Uh, mm -hmm. So measuring every minute or second or whatever <laughs> uh, measurement that you might have, and then we compare this with the prediction. Uh, and when the measured data exceeds the expected level for a certain period of time or for a certain amount of water, then we uh, uh, expect this to be a leakage and the system will then give a warning to I the see. operator. Yeah. And it's important to note that, that it's indicating an alert. Uh, it doesn't mean there's necessarily a leakage. Uh, so Powell has uh, the other aspects of the water system like the infrastructure, the service reports, uh, citizen reports, uh, things of that sort. Maybe there's been a fire and they're using uh, the hydrant or something. So we get this 360-degree view on what's happening with the water system uh, to know whether the, a specific alert or the indicating an anomaly is actually something that we need to dispatch a field crew to investigate. Uh, and we can do this kind of real time. Uh, and and uh, as we get more sensors, uh, more and more localized uh, so that, uh, that we can get on top of the leaks quickly. And the reason you want more sensors inside is so that you can start narrowing down where the problem is. How do you, like today, I, I don't know how big a zone really is, but, but what's the size of a zone, Kevin? I think I'll leave that to Freudis. So she's the expert yeah. on that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, Freudis. Could be, could be any size, actually. We, from our test cases, we have had zones from about 2,000 inhabitants up to about 20. Um, so this all depends on uh, the utility or the water company. Some companies have been... Um, should I say more clever, dividing their system into smaller units and it's more easier to, to, to analyze it and to understand the situation. Uh, others have uh, bigger ones and then uh, even they need, need this system even more, I would guess. Uh, now, Frodis, tell me just a little bit about the scanner or the device itself. So we have a sensor. It is... Um, it's able to measure water flow, but then I'm able to communicate. How do I talk to it? What's the communication mechanism with these devices? Yeah, um, actually the, the, the data that we used to train the model and also the, the online sensors, they are uh, uh, state-of-the-art sensors that have been in the system for, um, could, could have been 20 years or so. So they are um, nothing high-tech at all actually but uh, we are planning to add more sensors because now there's a variety of uh, uh, small sensors that are getting mm -hmm. cheaper and that it's also a lot easier to to send the communication to um, yeah in the cloud and to use it in our system so we we are now planning to 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 add more sensors into the system and uh, then it's pressure sensors 
uh, first of all, that we are interested in. Mm. Well, you know, and, and that's a good point. The say, I mean, this is not a new industry, right? Water's been around for a long time, and these sorts of sensors, we're not, we didn't just dream them up. People have been thinking about measuring this sort of metering, this sort of water for yeah, a long yeah, yeah. time. And so when you dream up a solution that's going to be clever and bring extra value, you can't say, let's take all the existing sensors and rip them out and let's put in brand new ones that are going to do exactly what we want. Somehow you've got to make it work with what's already there. Sounds like that's exactly what you've done. Yeah, actually we're only using data that they already have. It's just that we are uh, using them, analyzing them and giving them back in a way that they are more useful for our clients. Yeah, and, and, and to that point, uh, as municipalities modernize and smart city initiatives and so on, they will have uh, more uh, sort of more modern sensors come online, and this solution just, just gets more interesting in, in, in that scenario. Right. So you'll, you'll one of the ideas, of course, is to increase data because that will help you narrow things down. But also, yeah. this, how important is the speed of data um, from these sensors so that you can react to problems that you detect? Um, honestly, not that important. It, uh, uh, it's good. Um, it's good to have frequent data. But uh -huh. uh, when something happens, it's not like happening. Um, uh, yeah. It's not like in a, a gas second, leak. In, in a, a water second or like in a, a minute, uh, you would have time to to discover. Uh, so yeah, if it's a really, minutes. Hmm. if it's a really big leak, as Hortis was saying earlier, then it's going to surface in some way. What we're trying to find is the thousand small leaks um, that are causing so much water loss. Uh, you know, in a scenario where uh, water becomes an increasingly scarce resource, uh, you know, having a thousand pipes in a municipality slowly leaking water undetected um, yeah. for a long period of time is a problem. So it. It's not a question of super urgency, but it's a question of discovering them and getting them fixed. Mm. I see. So this really isn't about solving the gigantic problems. It's, it's solving the compound problems of all the little ones that are bigger than the gigantic problems, if you really look at it. 30% yeah. water loss seems pretty significant to me. If I lived in, you know, our producer, Chris, he lives in Las Vegas. If I lived in Las Vegas where water is unbelievably scarce, 30% mm. loss, that's tragic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and if you're able to if your systems are able to predict where some of these losses are, I'm able to recover, let's just say 10%, you know, and now I'm only losing 20% instead of 30%. That is an incredible value and I didn't have to go find more water. I'm basically just not throwing away so much yeah, water at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So the opportunity is in is in older cities mostly or what what do you what do you see the opportunity here for systems like this that monitor uh, water distribution flow? I think any city would uh, have use of this kind of system. Uh, it's, it's not just only the water alert or the, the machine learning bit that we did of it, but it, it's, as Kevin said, the holistic uh, view of how we utilize this data and, and uh, help the operators or uh, the managers of the company to understand and act when something is happening and quickly mm -hmm. that is important mm. and also also just planning better um, you know as Curtis was saying these these pipes are buried underground it's very disruptive to to replace them um, you know you have to dig up uh, things and so on 
So right. understanding what's happening with the with the infrastructure um, and uh, knowing uh, which pipes are likely to fail in the very near future uh, uh, in a kind of a predictive maintenance scenario is also something that we're looking into. Yes. Yeah. Boy, ML and predictive maintenance go hand in hand, don't they? To be able to see what's there and what isn't there. Uh, Fritis, how long does it take for you to be able to establish a baseline? If you come into, you know, my city and uh, everything, are you relying on historical data or can you establish a baseline? The baseline, I would say, if we get hold of the data, we can do it in a day or so. Hmm. For one... Um, but it also depends on uh, how complex and how big the city is. If it's oh, sure. uh, divided into, let's say, 100 zones, then we would have to spend more days. But um, we are currently work working on uh, testing this system on several uh, municipalities in Norway. So one of the things we want to gain more knowledge about is uh, how much training we need for each model. Um, probably we don't have to do training for all the zones in one city. If there are only residential oh, areas, for instance, uh, then we can use like a residential model for them. And then we can use like a downtown area would have a different pattern or an right. industrial area would have a different pattern. Then it would be quick. But we need to gain more knowledge about it. There's a big caveat there, that, and Freud has mentioned, touched on it a little bit, which is uh, uh, I think we all know that, uh, you know, data, the quality of the data matters a lot. Um, yeah. So if, uh, if the municipality has poor quality data, um, then we're going to spend a lot more time massaging that data into something useful. Um, and, and, you know, they say that the average is 80% of the time of a project is spent on that data cleanup, and I think... Uh, the experience at Powell is that's pretty accurate. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's just the real world, isn't it? That uh, people think they are getting great data only to not be getting great data. And so now you have to do all these gymnastics. But that's part of the value add. That's people like Powell or companies like Powell come in and they're able to do these things that uh, almost feel like magic whenever you come up behind them. The, um, all right, so I'm, in a, I'm, I'm at my city. Thank goodness Powell has finally come in. I have a couple of sensors. You guys have added a bunch of sensors. You've established a baseline. You're using all these models that you've proven in other cities and other places throughout time. And now I'm starting to see these changes. I've saved some water loss. You know, I've been able to identify some places that should not be using as much water as they are. And you're becoming more and more effective because... You're, I'm giving you more information about my city. I'm saying things like, here are all, here's what the fire department is using, and here is, and just fill in the blanks, all the other information that gives you this bigger vision so that you can add all these other variables to say, hey, there's all this loss. That's okay. That's because they turned on all the, you know, the mm. fire, fire extinguisher, not fire extinguisher. What's the word I'm looking for? Fire hydrants, right? Yeah. Okay, so now I've, I've, got the, I've got the gist of it. Now, um, have you started showing customers what are customers saying? What, what's the reaction that you're seeing when they, they see this type of uh, system? Yeah, we get uh, actually a lot of positive feedback uh, and a lot of interest, not only in Norway, but also abroad. Uh, so we have to figure out how to uh, handle this so that we can scale up quickly. Uh, we are really eager to uh, get going on this uh, project and to spread it out actually yeah well, I, let, let me i just want to add to that 
The, um, uh, you know, as I was mentioning, that a lot more of uh, Powell's uh, business is, is global. Um, and uh, we uh, are building scalable SaaS type solutions. That's what this water alert thing is designed to be. Uh, so while we're testing uh, the, the solution out with municipalities in Norway, uh, the, the, uh, the plan is, uh, is to very nearly bring that, to very, in a very short time, bring that to uh, the international market. Mm. Nice. Uh, now, during this project, with, with, while we were putting it together, so this is really an IoT project, right? I mean, when you look at it and just step back, you're like, how are you doing all this? Well, it's, the IoT, it's a standard sort of IoT implementation. Um, as you were going through it, did you have any aha moments, anything where you were like, wow, we really, something just happened that was really, really great? Well, I think I think we have to uh, give credit uh, a little bit to the uh, to the Microsoft uh, um, mm -hmm. subsidiary here. Uh, we are a partner uh, with uh, Microsoft, and we um, were engaged in the Ascend program. Uh, so, uh, uh, a couple of folks from Microsoft, including Pedro Diaz and Olaf Tolosan, uh, came and did a workshop with Powell, an intensive. Mm -hmm. Uh, two-week workshop um, where we got together in a room and we brainstormed around some interesting ideas um, and really thinking about the business value and the customer scenarios and how IOT could factor into that and how machine learning could factor into that yeah. and we came up with this scenario and the team built this uh, the entire first POC within that time frame also while doing the DevOps portion um, <laughs> aspect so you know, big credit to the to the Microsoft uh, folks there who were working with the, the team uh, to to make that happen. So this this the origin of this thing is uh, of this particular aspect of the water solution uh, is really there. During that kind of workshop that they had with you, well, and, and isn't it amazing what two weeks can do? You know, it, just to dedicate a little bit of time, and all of a sudden, you've got a new clear way of the noise and focus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really we great. All, actually, we did a little bit of preparation, and then we were working a bit on uh, data before mm -hmm. we decided to meet again, and then everybody just went to one place, uh, we worked together for a whole week. Pretty long days, but really inspiring, and uh, it's amazing what you can do when you really focus on something. And also, well, we worked uh, very much on the, the DevOps part of it and well, I think talk that was me, talk one to of me a little bit about the DevOps side for it what what, um, what is that what do you mean well as I mentioned that uh, Powell's been going through a digital transformation and part of that is really looking at the way we develop and deploy uh, our software solutions to, to customers and uh, the desire was to, to, to optimize the value delivery uh, pieces and it was uh, so DevOps was a key piece of just sort of examining that um, and seeing if we couldn't uh, make it a lot better. And the, the, the funny thing or the interesting thing is when you get everybody in a room and you, and you have everybody describe the current way we, uh, we do things and seeing the different views on it and, and, and understanding that no one person had the complete view. Uh, yeah. So then working through that, uh, I think we moved from a 12-week deployment down to like a three-and-a-half-week deployment uh, from wow. like, you know, the, the inception, the sort of the thinking of a new feature to uh, actually deploy it to a, to a customer. So I think... That's a third of the time. That's impressive. Yeah, that was an exciting thing for the team. And, um, uh, and then we used this framework through the workshop 
um, through those two weeks. So there was some learning that had to take place there. People had to get familiar with the tools and so on in a slightly different way of doing things um, while we're doing this new IoT and machine learning thing as well. So it was an a intensive, useful couple of weeks. Yeah. A lot of learning all at once. Isn't it amazing how when everybody sits down to talk about process, there's so much to improve. You could almost turn around the next day, let's sit down and talk about process, and there's more to improve. It seems like there's always something. It's kind of like, to me, it's kind of like cleaning a boat. Every time you get down, you're like, there's a barnacle, and you clean it off. The next morning, you're like, well, let's see what it, there's another barnacle. It's just kind of, you know, things just grow on process, and it just slowly needs, gets bigger, and you always need to kind of tend it like a gardener sometimes. Exactly, yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but so now it's a brand new pal. Yeah. But also this uh, hackathon, I think it was like um, really inspiring for uh, all of us, both both from Paul and Microsoft, my uh, impression was, because uh, we could really see the benefit of the different way of working immediately. We, yeah. we, saw, we saw the model building while we were there, <laughs> literally. Hmm. Process, uh, especially difficult process, is, is such a, a barrier to great ideas, right? And so being able to execute some, you're like, hey, I've got a great idea, and it'll take a year to do, right? And it's like, forget yeah. it. That's too much, yeah. right? It's neat when you can, you can enable things to be, even if, you know, fast doesn't mean this afternoon. Fast can still mean a reasonable amount of time, just not a, a burdensome amount of time. That's pretty great. So it's a two-part process for PAL. For one, we start looking at the IoT side of things, introducing models, introducing all these pieces around, I'm sure, stream analytics. And then at the same time, we're all going to work together in a new, very tuned process, and we can see how well it works. Sounds like the process actually worked as well. Are you guys taking the process improvements that you did during this workshop and then implementing it inside your own development teams now? Well, it's, there, there are many development teams at PAL, uh, and so uh, some are further along in the DevOps continuum than others. And so uh, it's a, you know, as I mentioned, PAL is going through this digital transformation, and it's, it's, a, it's a process, uh, and, uh, uh, but it's one that's, uh, that's steadily improving. So. Now, um, not Powell, but, uh, you know, Jerry Company over here, we're about the same size as you, totally different industry. We're thinking about DevOps. This is pretty interesting. What would be a word of advice from one CTO to another that you might give to, to me as I'm considering this DevOps process? Yeah, I think it's not just a, a sort of a, a gimmick or, a tr you know, uh, just a trend. It's, it's something that actually optimizes uh, the way you can deliver value and, and allows you to deliver continual value and get data back uh, for your efforts. Uh, so I think it's a worthwhile investment. And uh, mm -hmm. at least my approach is to start with the first team uh, and then uh, socialize the improvements uh, across the company. Uh, that way. Uh, so Water was, uh, some other teams were using DevOpsy things, but Water was the first through the entire uh, sort of evaluation process. Okay, got it. So start small, prove it, and then make it contagious because it's so effective. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, I, that makes sense to me. Now, uh, Freddie, tell me just a little bit about um, what's next. So we're, we're looking at this project, and you've done some neat things What's, the, what's an aspect of this uh, smart water solution that you hope to really dive into next? Yes, as I um, said, we basically produce this baseline, as you say, with existing data 
from the existing systems. But we are really eager to, to test new sensors uh, and um, sensors that are easy to just include in the system um, with communication. And um, the first that we're going to test is uh, pressure uh, sensors. And uh, our plan is to, to, to use them to help uh, localize the leakage, not only saying, hey, here is it's too much water, but now we also want to, uh, to help the utility to go more accurate. We have, uh, we have also other systems that we use, um, that we use as support to localize, but we also think that we could be even more accurate with uh, more sensors, and we are eager to test how many sensors we need, uh, maybe two, three, ten, <laughs> depends on the, on the size. So Right. Mm. Yeah, because more sensors you have, the more accurate you are, but then there's some mm. threshold where you have too many sensors, you don't need that for yeah. that level yeah. of accuracy. Yes, and actually we have uh, another interesting thing is uh, we are looking into other topics as well in, in the water sector, both for water and wastewater systems. Uh, so we have uh, also plans uh, to do similar things on the wastewater side. Okay. And um, uh, this summer we have uh, summer interns, students in Powell, uh, 26 uh, students, and they are spread throughout the oh. five different departments, and they have um, uh, the opportunity to look into uh, innovation projects. Uh, on the water in the water sector or in the other sectors that we're working with so um, yeah, we are quite uh, eager to see uh, what they will dive into nice nice yeah. now uh, now Kevin you you kind of sit back and look at all five sections not just water of Powell and uh, here we are inside just water for now talking about you know IOT stream analytics Power BI, all of these things, making a pretty fast solution. What do you see next? Like, is there another area that you're like, they? I think they're a pretty good candidate for a similar type of solution, and take the learnings from one over to another. Actually, it's a it's a really good question. We have at Pow a uh, a common uh, data science team uh, okay. uh, with a set of uh, smart data scientists and a chief data scientist and things like that, and. Uh, so and and we're building a common data platform uh, which uh, can serve the different product units, uh, and we also have uh, you know an endless list of, of opportunities and scenarios, uh, cases if you will, uh, that we're uh, putting in a prioritization framework. Um, so every every uh, business unit has a pretty long list of, of prioritized use cases and machine learning scenarios uh, that we are working through. Uh, so the water case is one of them, and we also have uh, some wind power things without going into too much detail. We have quite a number of things. Sure. Um, sure. So it's uh, this IoT type uh, machine learning uh, type solution is something that uh, Powell is going to be doing or is doing uh, a lot of across the different business units. Mm. It's funny, uh, these types of 
a very straightforward solution. They're almost like poison ivy. I don't know if you have poison ivy in Norway or not. We don't have it in Colorado, but I grew up in Missouri where it's everywhere. It's so contagious, and these sorts of things are so contagious. One team gets it, and everybody else suddenly starts scratching about it. They're just like, wow, there's something really cool there. And it's neat what – to me, it's neat how – once data is available, people start thinking in brand new ways, right? Before the data is available, the only way they're thinking is how do we make the data available? Once the data is available, once they can do these sorts of things without making them gigantic science projects in order to figure out, all of a sudden these new ideas come up, these new business models and business products and things that really were they were so distant that they weren't even worth dreaming about, suddenly are they're on the table. And you can start talking about things in, in terms of you know, a year or two rather than you know, a decade or two to be able to get it in place. Sounds like Powell has really made a, a strategic investment, not just in this uh, workshop, but it sounds like uh, with you and you know, all the data science work you're doing, Powell's really, uh, there's a lot of high-tech stuff going on behind the scenes making it possible for your company. Yes, absolutely. It's uh, it's an exciting time to be in the uh, in this particular industry. Uh, I wouldn't have predicted ten years ago that I would be working with uh, utilities and energy, but uh, but the the kind of uh, transformation that's happening uh, now is uh, you know it's world changing stuff, uh, and uh, it's important. Uh, so it's it's exciting to be part of it. Yep, it is important. It is important. Uh, Thank you for talking about this process and what you have discovered around your uh, solution around water and smart water. Thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Kevin, it's been great talking to you too. Thanks for being on the show and talking to us about Powell. It's great. Thank you so much. You bet. We'll see you both again.